Well, before Charles Spurgeon would ever step foot in the pulpit to preach, the tradition has it that as he was ascending the stairs there of the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit, he would say this, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 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 The question is, why, why would he pray such a prayer? Well, it's not because he was nervous. No, it's because Spurgeon full well knew of his powerlessness. He full well knew that apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who hear, his ministry, regardless of how eloquent it may be, would be futile. He knew well the passage in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that a natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because the spiritual things are spiritually discerned. But when the Holy Spirit comes, Spurgeon knew that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And that's where Charles Spurgeon trusted. He trusts his ministry to the Spirit. And it's not only him. If you heard the prayers I spoke as well before I would come up to preach and open the Word of God, I, similar my, my prayer is normally not so sophisticated. My prayer normally goes like this. Help. Help. Help me, Lord. That's my prayer. All right? That's just my short breath prayer that I pray. Others, uh, I, I know they do this as well. We are at the Desiring God conference last year and Joel Beakey talked about in his tradition, the Reformed, Dutch Reformed tradition, apparently when, when he comes up, he's, the pastors are supposed to like stand before the pulpit and uh, like whatever, say some quick prayers or something. And he said, if you knew the prayers that I prayed standing before the pulpit, you'd realize how unprofessional and unpastoral those prayers sound. There is a prayer of desperation often when the Word of God is, is opened. And Spurgeon knew that. And I want all of us to know that. I want all of us to be reaffirmed in that as well. Well, this day in the life of Rock Valley Bible Church, we're installing three new leaders in their official capacity, Phil Gusky and Darren Weeby as elders, and uh, Ray Hook as a deacon. Now, the good news is they've really been been um, functioning in these roles for a long time, probably a year and a half, totally functioning these roles. Nothing's going to change come Monday. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to officially recognize them and rejoice in that. And as, as we do that, I want to take a break from the book of Hebrews we've been going through. I want, to, I want us to really think about leadership and really think about the crucial role of the Holy Spirit, especially as it comes to spiritual leadership. J. Oswald Sanders said it this way. He said, spiritual leadership can be exercised only by spirit-filled men. Other qualifications for spiritual leadership are desirable, but to be spirit-filled is indispensable. Other qualities for spiritual leadership are desirable, but to be spirit-filled is indispensable. And I want us to be reminded of that and just see how we need to be spirit-filled, trusting in the Spirit, have Him come and move among us. So, open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts. We're going to be a little bit different this Sunday. You know, normally, we just camp on a verse and exposit those and open those up. Well, the verse we're going to camp on today is the book of Acts. Um, it's a lot. We'll just kind of be paging through, but we are going to go chronologically from Acts chapter 1 through, we'll end in Acts chapter 20. It's been said that the Acts of the Apostles is wrongly named. Rather than the Acts of the Apostles, it should be named Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
then it's no, no wonder then that we see how, how influential the Holy Spirit is on leading the early leaders of the early church. I, I've just been amazed. I've been really looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in leading the church. But it makes sense because we need His help in, in every way. And justice, He led the early church, so He must need, lead our church as well. And so Phil and Day, Ray and uh, Darren, I want to tell you one thing. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. That's the title of my message this morning. Leaders, we need the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, we find the apostles with Jesus for 40 days learning about the kingdom of God. It says that there in verse 3. And so, learning about the kingdom of God for 40 days, it's like, okay, you're coming back to this topic, Jesus, that's on our mind. Is this the time, verse 6? Is, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom? Right, Jesus, you've been talking about this. When is it going to happen? And Jesus said, verse 7 and 8, Well, it's not, not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Picture this. Disciples with Jesus. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower you to accomplish the Great Commission. Which is Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's very interesting here that they couldn't do it on their own. They needed someone to help. They needed the Holy Spirit to come and help them accomplish that task. It's so godlike to give a command and then enable the fruition of that command in our lives. Unless you think that when God tells us to do things, He leaves us powerless on our own to accomplish them, or He trusts it to us to do those things on our own. It's not... He commands and then He empowers. Always coming right after. That's what happens here as well. Is He commanded to go forth and make disciples? But here He is empowered. I say, Phil and Darren and Ray, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us. Well, we see the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2. They were all together in one place and the Holy Spirit came. Pick it up in verse 2. They're on the day of Pentecost. They're gathered together. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a, a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and the, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Notice here how it was the Holy Spirit who was coming in in promise to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit came. Verse 4 was, was filling them and then they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is miraculous speech. This is what tongues is. Normally, it takes several years to learn a foreign language, but in these cases, it took just a matter of moments that believers were able to speak in languages entirely unknown to them, so that foreigners all around heard them speak in their own language. And weren't just speaking in anything. They, you know, they weren't talking about how the cow jumped over the moon. They were talking about the mighty deeds of God. Look in chapter 2, verse 11. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So it's coming out of their mouth. It's not only coherent, but it was God-exalting content of what was coming out of their mouths. There's the Holy Spirit working on these men. 
And such an occurrence then gave Peter an audience to proclaim the Gospel, and he did, and 3,000 were saved. Acts 2, verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. But you have to see, I trust you will, that it's the Holy Spirit who brought it about. It wasn't John's great plan. It wasn't Peter's great plan. It wasn't Andrew's great plan. None of them said, hey, I got an idea. How about we just come to Jerusalem and pray real hard and then speak in languages that we don't know anything about, do this miracle and gather all this attention and then Peter, you can stand up and preach. How about we do that? That wasn't wasn't their plan. They weren't thinking about this at all. It was the Holy Spirit who came and worked according to His plan. So I say, Phil, Darren, and Ray, we need the Holy Spirit to accomplish His purposes among us and His agenda because His ideas are quite frankly better than our ideas. We need to follow His lead. Well, as you work through Acts, you see in chapter 3, the healing of the lame man gave Peter an opportunity to preach the Gospel. Another 2,000 believed, according to Acts chapter 4, verse 4. By this time, he had 5,000 men in the early church. And with such success came some hardship as well. Peter was arrested and set before the powerful religious leaders of the day, the same ones who had orchestrated the killing of Jesus. And they asked him, by what power or what name have you done this? And then Peter responded, it was all the power of the name of Jesus Christ whom they had rejected. But for our purposes, look back in chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them of these things. Why don't you think a moment for what that means? Peter was filled the day of Pentecost, but he was filled. I think in one regard, this is the fulfillment of Jesus' own words in Luke 12. Remember when Jesus said, when, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not worry about how or what you're to speak in your defense or what you're to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you that very hour what you ought to say. And I think Peter was experiencing the, the fulfillment of that. He's standing right before these people and the, the Spirit gave him utterance of what to say. In that sense, he was filled. But, but I think there's also something else going on here. When it speaks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I, I think that's a, a way to say also just empowered with the Holy Spirit. He was energized by the Holy Spirit. You see that all the way through the book of Acts of people being filled with the Spirit multiple times. It means they were empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit to speak the Gospel powerfully and clearly. There's no greater statement of the Gospel than in verse 11 and 12. He is the stone which was rejected by you, but which became the chief cornerstone. That's the Gospel, right? Jesus was the chief cornerstone, came and was rejected by the chief priests, rejected by the rulers, crucified. Then now He's become the very chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among heaven by which we must be saved. There's the Gospel right there. Jesus was the one. You rejected Him. He was crucified, but He came back to be the chief stone and He's the only way to God. And the only way to articulate that was by being filled with the Holy Spirit to preach so boldly. And these religious leaders then had no excuse. They'd heard the message of Christ clearly and boldly. They rejected Peter just as they had rejected Jesus. After a bit of counsel, they were threatened and released. You can see that there in verse 21. I think we need to learn something here is the the power of God, that God's ministry must be done in God's power. If we're to speak boldly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so to speak. 
There is a way to do ministry in the flesh, for sure. Judas tried it. Simon the Magician tried it. Demas tried it. It'll fail. We need a power, a new ministry, God's way, by God's grace, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I say, Phil, Ray, and Darren, we need the Holy Spirit to give us boldness to empower us in our ministry. Well, for the sake of time, we're going to move forward to Acts chapter 6. Here we see the church in turmoil. Dissension among the ranks. Widows, needy widows in the church. So many, in fact, that some were being neglected. Let's read about it in verse 1. Now, at that time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose among the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because there were widows who were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. And apparently these twelve apostles were spending much time seeing that these widows were cared for, right? A, a noble work. But at some point, at one point, as the widows were increasing and as the demands of the Word were increasing, it became too much for them and they're being pulled in, in two directions. On the one hand, the widows needed help and on the other hand, the Word needed to be ministered to people and so in verse 2, the apostles prioritized, prioritized for themselves the ministry of the Word. It's not to neglect the widows. On the contrary, what they did is they appointed some well-qualified, quality men to help in that ministry. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Right here, and I need to say this for clarification a little bit, we see the, the seed of the two offices of the church beginning to develop. On the one hand, you have the apostles who devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. It's their priority. It corresponds today to our elders and pastors and overseers. Phil and Darren, if you will. And on the other hand, you see the seven men who are appointed to serve the tables. Their priority is ministries of mercy, helping others with physical needs corresponds to the modern-day deacons. Corresponds to Ray Hook and Lance Milton, who's also a deacon for us. As much as we can, we try to model this for you. All elders and pastors, overseers, all, all similar terms, seek to do the ministry of prayer, seek to be minister of the Word, speak to minister the spiritual needs of the body, whereas the deacons... Seek to devote them to helping the physical needs of the church body. It's no accident that Ray Hook was up here presenting the budget for you and not me. Because the physical matter of the church. It's no accident that Phil or that Ray and Lance had their, their fingers in the budget, fingers in the numbers, trying to work that out. Darren, Phil and I looked over things and, and approved it. And even as, as Ray said... Yeah, the elders told us to raise the missions giving to 15%. Um, sort, sort of went like that a little bit. There's input there, but, but they're, they're delegating. They're taking that responsibility. That's how it should be. Eugene Peterson tells a story of how he almost quit the ministry. So burdened of the matters of the ministry that his five-year-old daughter once felt neglected. One occasion, she came to him and asked to read her a book. And fathers, you know what that's like, right? To have your children come and read a book to them. And uh, Eugene Peterson turned her down and said, no, honey, I can't, can't read the book. I've got a meeting at church tonight. 
And she said, exasperated, Daddy, this is the 38th night in a row that you've had a meeting at church. And I'm sure that was exaggerated, but that's how the daughter felt. And right then and there, Eugene Peterson knew that things in his life had been totally unbalanced. He was focusing so much of his effort upon the church, giving so much into it, that he had no time for personal relationships, no time for prayer. He said, the very capacity for love and prayer had atrophied alarmingly. He said, because he's no way out of there except to get a new start someplace else. So I want you to catch then the dialogue that he had between he and the leaders of his church. His leadership, his fellow elders, asked him, so what do you want to do? He said, well, I want to study God's Word long and carefully so that when I stand before you and preach, I'll be accurate. And I want to pray slowly and livingly so that my relationship with God will be inward and honest. And I want to be with you often and leisurely so that we can recognize each other as close companions on the way of the cross and be available for counsel and encouragement to each other. What a, what a great view of ministry, right? Commitment to God's Word, a commitment to prayer, a commitment to the people of God. I want to study, I want to pray, I want to be with you. And he was so burdened with the matters of the church that he felt like he couldn't do any of those things anymore. And so one elder responded, well, if that's what you want to do, why don't you do it? Nobody is telling you you can't. Did they? Let's check the minutes. Did someone say you can't do that? But then with a touch of anger, Peterson responded, because I have to run the church. Do you realize that running this church is a full-time job? There's simply no time to be a pastor. That's what he said. And I know some of those burdens. Another elder said, well, why don't you let us run the church? He said, well, you don't know how. And I love this statement. He says, well, it sounds to me like you don't know how to be a pastor either. <laughs> how about you let us learn how to run the church and we let you learn how to be a pastor? <laughs> That's a great a great story. He said, at that moment on, the, the heavens opened and the dove descended. He said there was incredible peace in his heart and his life. He then goes on to tell where he, he was one Tuesday night, kind of his children were busy, his wife was busy, and so he walked, there was a building committee meeting at the church, and so he walked over there, and they said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I just thought maybe I'd cheer you guys on. He said, no, no, you get out of here. And uh, he said, don't you trust us? And he said, hmm. I guess I'm learning that. So he had to learn. So he left. But that I, I say that, that just just the heart of what a difference is between an elder and a deacon. Um, there might be different roles among elders as well, but just a, a heart to be devoted to, to prayer and the ministry of the Word to people, Darren and Phil, I just commend you to that. May we never, even as leadership, never be so burdened by running the church we forget to shepherd the church. Well, I digress, but I digress with a purpose to kind of help you see the, the differences there. But we're going to get at our main goal here about seeing the Spirit. Look at verse 3, because this is, this is my point of what I'm trying to get here out of Acts. Notice the kind of men that should be placed in the role of overseeing the care of widows. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the, what? Of the Spirit and of wisdom, where we may put in charge of this task. Qualifications meant that they would be full of the Spirit. Deacons, full of the Spirit. So, Ray, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be like these men. And I know you are. And 
we as a congregation know you are. But it comes a reminder. The statement, verse 5, found approval. The whole congregation, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Here was Stephen, this, this deacon who was full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and presumably the rest of them were too. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Again, reminding the importance of the Holy Spirit in the lives of leaders in the church. And then we see their installation in verse 6. And these have been brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. That's what we're going to do at the end of our service. Cordy Bell and Frank Yonke, and even we have Lance come as well, as leaders of the church. Gordy and Frank, for those of you who don't know, are former elders here. Frank's living in DeKalb. Though, just um, responsibilities there with back in the Yelp. Gordy lives in Oregon, and so that was difficult as well, just the difficult travel. But historically, it's good for us to have these men come and to lay hands and affirm. They know very well. They know Phil, Darren, and Ray very well. Uh, they're good men, but I thought it was good just to, to bring them up, to lay hands. As affirmation is really what that means, to lay hands on them in that way. Well, let's move on. So we continue the book of Acts. Right, we're going to see some scriptures now where the Spirit is actively involved in ministry. And I want to go through them quickly. But I want you to, to realize how we need the Holy Spirit to guide our ministry as well. He might have guided the early church in a unique way, in a different way than He does now. We have the scriptures now. They didn't have back then, but the Holy Spirit was actively involving. I do believe the Holy Spirit is still active with us as well today. Maybe not quite as active as we will see. But look at chapter 8. Here we see Philip. One of the seven men chosen to serve tables. Being a deacon doesn't mean that a mouth is shut. Being a deacon means that you still are ministering the Word as is appropriate. You're just focusing on the physical needs of the saints. He was on his way back to Jerusalem from Samaria, but the angel of the Lord spoke to him and directed him to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he was going, but an angel spoke to him, audible voice, and he went down to Gaza. And as he's on that road, verse 29, look what it says there. It says, The Spirit said to Philip, These are audible words that the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip. Go up and join this chariot. In the chariot, he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch who was ripe for evangelism. Philip preached Jesus to him and he came to faith through Philip's words. Now, notice that that would never have happened unless the Holy Spirit had not first spoken to guide Philip as to where he needs to go. We'll look over at chapter 10. We're going to see the same, same idea of the intense role the Holy Spirit has. The chapter opens with Cornelius being told in the vision to dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. So Cornelius is there. He's a God-fearing man. People are on the way. While these men are on the way, Peter's on the roof and he has this vision about this, this sheet coming down, these unclean animals on the sheet and being told to eat of these animals. And Peter being a, a well well-obedient Jew, has never eaten those animals. He refused. So he's never eaten anything unclean in his life. And now look at verse 19. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, what it meant, the Spirit said to him, this is audible voice by the Holy Spirit, said, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Here we even see a little bit more of the role of the Spirit. That the Spirit Himself went to Cornelius and sent these men. The Spirit Himself is talking to Peter, telling him to join these men to go back 
And in Acts chapter 10, of course, you see the, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon those who were listening. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. You see the active role of the Holy Spirit here in the life of the early church. And I do believe the Holy Spirit, particularly here, was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. That's why he was so active in this, speaking audibly as he did. But here it was, the Holy Spirit as a, as, a, as a heart for evangelism, to get the message out, which is what he did. Open the door for the Gentiles to believe in Christ. He's God-fearers. In fact, that's the discussion of Acts chapter 11. Well, Why did you go to them? Why did you eat with them? And the whole conclusion is that, verse 18 of chapter 11, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. And there was the Holy Spirit who brought that about. I don't know if the Jews would have necessarily gone there apart from the Holy Spirit working in their lives. We'll turn over to Acts chapter 13. We see the Holy Spirit again prompting missionary work. We see the um, first missionary journey coming about here. Look at, look at verse 1. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. And he names them Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. In verse 2, while they're ministering to the Lord and fasting, right? So probably praying, worshiping, singing, meditating, whatever. The Holy Spirit said, I do believe, audio, audible voice set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I wish the Holy Spirit would speak to me like that. If so, I'd write it down like it's written down here. We'd go forth. But... But the Holy Spirit does move us, for sure. But notice also that what not only told them, but, but He also moved them. Because, because we, we've seen these where the Holy Spirit is telling them what to do, but, but we see then the Holy Spirit also moving them. Look at verse 4. As they, well, look at verse 3. When they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Again, just a sign of affirmation. God, you've done this with Barnabas and Saul. We're going to send them away with your blessing. And then we see in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and there they sailed to Cyprus. So who's sending these men out? Is it the other leaders there who laid their hands on them and sent them away? Or is it the Holy Spirit who sent them out? Yes. If you know what I mean. It's how active the Spirit is involved in the early church. I do believe He's active like that. We need the Holy Spirit. And I believe He guided them every step of the way. First missionary journey, they went out, they came back. But look at how He he guided them in the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 16. And the way He guided them here, I'm sure that He was guiding them on the first journey as well. Acts 16, verse 6 and 7. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. Okay, This is Saul and... um, Who did he go with? He went with Barnabas. Um, I forget who, who to go with. Help me. Silas. So it's Paul and Silas are going here. And they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region that's kind of north of um, uh, Jerusalem, up in Asia Minor there. And having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. You've got to catch this. They're trying to go to Asia and the Holy Spirit forbids them. Now we don't see any audible speech here but maybe circumstantially just directed away. Couldn't go there. So they said, okay, we can't go there. Let's go to Bithynia. Look what happens in verse 7. 
And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus, probably another name for the Holy Spirit, did not permit them. So they tried to go to Asia, couldn't go there because the Spirit prohibiting them. Trying to go to Bithynia, Spirit prohibiting them. And so where did they go? You hear the Macedonian call of verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia standing and appearing to them, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding what? That God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The conclusion was that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. He was moving in their hearts to go to Macedonia. He was moving through a vision, in, in this case, to go there. I guess, do you see how crucial and important the role of the Holy Spirit is in ministry? We need the Spirit to guide us and direct us in all things. Phil and Darren and Ray and Lance. Now, I don't believe the Holy Spirit today speaks like He did in the Bible, but I do believe the Holy Spirit guides our paths for sure. A man, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And we may plan... And we may walk down paths of ministry, but the Holy Spirit's going to open and shut doors before us, and we need to be attentive to His leading so that we don't just go do something beyond that. But say, no, maybe God is directing things this way. And that, that's how ministry goes. You, you, you can plan your way. You know, Rock Valley Bible Church, I just remember when things started, and, you know, had a vision of where we're going, and, and um, it's it's not gone exactly where I envisioned it to go. It's gone where God has led as He has brought different people in our paths, different people into the church. We've just sensed where God is leading us and gone with the giftedness of the people that God has brought to us. We can plan our way, but God will direct our steps and it's the Holy Spirit who will direct our steps. And we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to be attuned to that. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, one last passage. Acts chapter 20. It's one of those tender passages in all the Bible. Paul is on his third missionary journey, on his way back to Jerusalem. He wants to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. But as he's sailing, he says, oh, there's my loved church in Ephesus. I spent three years there and I'd love, oh, I'd love to see those people. But, but he knew for very well that any visit to Ephesus would certainly turn into a long visit. And so he said, I can't go there because once I go there, I'm stuck. So, he's got to get here. But he longs for those people. He loves them. So, what he does, he compromises a little bit. He gets a messenger, calls the elders of Ephesus to Miletus, which was a coastal town. So, he stopped. The messenger went. And then the elders journeyed to see Paul so they could have a brief meeting together. He gave them instructions, give them help. They could affirm their love for one another. They could hug and kiss. what they do. They could weep. They could cry show their affection towards one another, and then Paul could go on without being entrapped by so many people who'd want to see him and by so many people he'd want to see. And so he gave him a speech recorded in Acts chapter 20. And I'll just let the Lord lead me how much the detail I, I share here. He says in verse 18, talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, you yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And teaching you public from house to house. Solemnly testifying of both Jews, to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's the ministry of Jesus. It was a serving ministry with the people all the time, even in the hard times. It's Eugene Peterson's spirit of what he said, right? I want to be with you often and leisurely. He was with them off night and day for three years. And he spoke to them, filled with encouragement to the saints, evangelism to those outside the church. It's a good role for elders, right? To serve and speak. And then he turns. Rather than his ministries, talking about his past ministry, talking about his future ministry, verse 22, which isn't bright. He says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, or bound in Spirit, I think is better. Bound by his own Spirit, I think is probably better. But it could be Holy Spirit, I'm not sure here. But on the way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, verse 23, the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul had abandoned everything in his life for the ministry of the gospel of Christ, even when it made great difficulty. And notice the role of the Holy Spirit in his life in verse 23. The Holy Spirit's testifying that afflictions are waiting him. So he knew full well what was coming his way. He knew the Lord Himself from the Lord Himself, that it would not be an easy task. Leadership's never easy. Especially in the local church. Darren and Phil and Ray, it's not. I don't expect it to be easy, but trust that God will, with His grace, give us the Holy Spirit, find sufficiency in our lives. I know I've found that true in my life. The difficult, dark, troublesome days, God's Spirit has been sufficient. I'll let you fill in the details. Verse 25, now Paul speaks about his departure from Ephesus. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent to the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. As he leaves Ephesus, he says, I am a blameless man, innocent in everything. Didn't pull any punches. He dealt straight with them in all things. Preached to them the whole purpose of God, the whole counsel of God. Nothing he held back. And so, boy, Phil and Darren, have, have on your mind the day you leave Rock Valley Bible Church. Hopefully it's when you die, alright? Or something else. But think about, I left Rock Valley Bible Church clean in my heart that I have spoken to them the whole counsel of God. Blameless. Blameless. So live now so as to be that then. And the best way to do that is, you know, seek the Lord's help in that. Confess your failures. That's, how, that's the only way to be blameless is to be a confessor. Confess your sins. Confess your waywardness. Confess your wrongs. But leave blameless. And then he gives a counsel, verse 28, then to, to the church of Ephesus. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has set you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. Here's the call to be on guard. That's what elders need to do. Be on guard. Looking first to yourself. Be on guard for yourselves. Right? Look to sin in your own life. Be diligent to walk blamelessly before the Lord first. That's what Paul told Timothy. Pay close attention to yourself first and to your teaching Watch and study your life hard so that you can say with Paul, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. But also, not only guard yourself, but also guard the flock. Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. 
Because of what awaits the church. Look what awaits the church. 4-29 I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Same command there, right? Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. It's the reality of church life. People can come and see, oh, there's a gathering of people. They gather every week. That's easy prey. I can gain a following. And people see that and do that sometimes with their own agenda, wanting others to follow them. We have to be guard against them. It's not in vain that one of the metaphors of the church is that we are sheep because wolves are out there getting the sheep. But what's interesting here is that there may be wolves in the sheep. Some may rise up from within your midst. It's not just out there. Also, it's in here. It's in Ephesus. It could be among us. We need to be on the alert in our shepherding work for that. Well, verse 28. We're, we're looking here for the Spirit, okay? And we see it in verse 28. Those other comments are just to help us all with shepherding ideas, thoughts. But fill in there. We may appoint you as elders this day. We may lay hands on you. We may pray for you. But something far more significant is going on here. Look at verse 20. It says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His blood. God is the one appointing you men as elders of the church. An overseer is another name for an elder. Overseer is one who stands and watches over the church to oversee the church. God's appointing you today to oversee and to shepherd the church. There's another pastor. Fill in there and think of yourselves fellow pastors with me. Shepherding the church, caring for the church, feeding the church, guarding, guiding, loving the church. It's a church that Jesus Christ purchased with His blood. That's what it says in verse 28. And may we never forget that. It's not, it's not my church. It's not your church, Darren. It's not your church, Phil. It's God's church. He purchased it. He's the one that put the money down. He put the blood down. He owns it. It's His church. We're just carers of it. We're servants of it, giving the task to care for it. We must never forget the cross of Christ. That's what formed a church. It's what formed us, the cross of Christ. Well, I love what Paul does then in verse 32. It says, I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here he commends the elders to God. Anyways, that's really what we are doing this morning. Is it Phil and Darren? We're installing you as elders of church by praying for you and commending you to God and to the Word of His grace. That's what we're doing today. And I just want to close my message by commending both of you. Uh, just really to the church and Ray as well. I'm going to speak. In fact, you know, how about Phil and Ray and Darren? How about you guys come down here, sit in the first, first row? Um, just want to say some things about you. I'm going to have uh, uh, Gordy Bell then come up a little bit later, say some things about you. They wanted to address you, so I figure if you're sitting right there, they can address you. Okay. Um, but let me just say it's been a delight to serve with you, man. I mean, we're already functioning like elders and deacon. We already are. And it's just a, a delight in that. I've had the chance to call almost everyone in this room and talk to them about, hey, Phil and Darren, here's what I've normally said. Do you have any questions or comments or affirmations or 
warnings. How many of you like, have I talked to you about that? How many of you guys? Right? Lots of hands. Right? Most, most of the fathers, heads of households in the family. And it's come back overwhelmingly positive. I've shared with all of you their comments anonymously. All right? Um, but lots of, lots of good things that were said. I uh, think that you all are, are well-qualified men. You're spiritual men. And I do believe that. I look forward to serving with you in years to come. I just want to just affirm before the congregation of how you know, all of you have talked to. Um, and it has been interesting as we've gone over some things. Phil, I think particularly some things said of you. You're very humble. He said, yep, some of those things are true. Not disqualifying, but, but true. Um, and I appreciate your humble response. would pray that we would all be humble like that as well. Um, but I just trust the Lord will use us to help lead and guide the church. We are here to serve you, to help you in all ways. Um, it's our heart, and I'm, I'm looking forward. I know Vaughn's looking forward to having them all. She's, she asks me every time I come home from meeting Phil and Darren, I said, how's it go? And when I say, um, Gordy, you might appreciate this, when I, when I say, things went really well, she's like, oh, I'm so happy. Because the flip has been true, and it's really hard. But I'm, I'm rejoicing that we can maintain that same spirit for years to come, is what I hope. Well, I want to ask Gordy to come up next. And I can, Gordy knows these men well. can uh, just speak about them before all of you. Maybe give us a, a little bit of a perspective of history. Then we have Frank come. And then we'll have you men sit on chairs. And Lance will come also. We'll lay hands and we'll pray. And we'll finish our service just like that. So, really, we're going to finish the service. No more announcements. You can read your bulletin. I think you all know what's going, what's going on. You get the weekly word. Uh, so, Gordy, why don't you come and uh, share what you'd like to share. And uh, then Frank, you can come, and then we'll all come and pray for them. First thing I'd like to do is open the door this time and to uh, help us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and the Church, and then to uh, recall some ways that He did the work in us and in the Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for this time that we have prayed about for years. We thank you that Christ is the head of the church. He provides all that's needed. We thank you for the gifts of the church, people here. We pray for unity, for love, for true worship from clean hands and pure hearts. We thank you for the work that has been done prior to this time. And we pray for the work that will be done after, that it would be done in the fullness of the Spirit and not in the flesh. We love you and thank you for your great provision in Christ for us. And for this time, we commit it to you that you would be honored, glorified, and praised. We ask these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. As I listened to the sermon today, I couldn't help but think about the past, and uh, I went back in my mind to the leading of the Holy Spirit through leadership. Uh, In the early 90s, uh, we met as a leadership team in Warrenville at Grace Church in DuPage, and you have been privileged enough to hear Daryl Worley here for the, uh, the day that the church was dedicated to the Lord in January, I believe it was. And uh, we sat as a group of men 
And we discussed where the next church plant should be, having no idea. And uh, as we prayed about it, it seemed that it was taking more time than we would have liked. So we waited on the Lord, and that's hard to do at times. In 1993, uh, it was determined by the unity of leadership that it would be wise to go to DeKalb to plant a church. And some of the people here uh, remember those days. We met in Stephen Yvonne's apartment. And I remember when we got done with the meeting, we all came out with the conclusion, I don't know if we can do this. It was it was amazing, amazing time. As the time went by, a lot of things took place. The Holy Spirit guided, directed, and helped us all. Uh, Kishwaukee Church started, and Kishwaukee Bible Church, I remember the first title of the church was The Gathering went through the same issues that uh, you've been through. Where do we meet? Start at the Brandon's home. Uh, too many people, where do we go? Those decisions had to be made and prayed over and thought about and what would be wise. The university was one place that we met. And then a building came that was available. And all of this done by the Holy Spirit, guiding people, directing people, praying. Uh, I remember one of the pastors said, you know, I really think we ought to consider where we're going to to plant churches. And they named a bunch of cities. And I sat there and said, you guys have a vision that I don't get yet. Uh, I worked with a pastor who was a visionary. And when he had a vision, it was as good as done. And I couldn't even figure out what page he was on. And I kept thinking, where did you get these ideas? And it was the Holy Spirit putting these ideas in his head. Well, then I remember in, uh, I remember being at Steve Brandon's ordination in uh, DeKalb and uh, thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next. And as we continued, uh, 1998, a group of people went from Rockford to DeKalb and wanted more of God's Word. So a Bible study started here, July 2nd, I think it was, 98. Uh, from that, we went to Perryville Road, uh, July 2nd, 2000, when we started here. And I think about all the times where it was like, where are we going to meet? What are we going to do? How is this going to work out? And I remember some people here when we went to uh, Rockford Christian High School said, oh, I think I know of a place, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then when we met at the, at the high school, uh, the next thing I heard after we had left the church in 08 that there was a church building found here. Again, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And all I could think of is, Lord, you are incredible. I think about as I look back on things, it was all, it's all very clear looking backward. It's pretty hazy looking forward. My uh, challenge to you guys is as you look forward, trust God. There'll be times when you wait and you say, Lord, I don't know. We've been through the waiting process for leadership for some time. You have, and God has been faithful and answered. I couldn't help but think about a couple of things is we... As we met today, and I, and I kept thinking as, as Steve was, was preaching, 
Beware lest when you get in the land and you have all these good things that you didn't do. I did them all for you. You forget who gave them all to you. You forget. And you wander off. And it's like, God help the leadership of Rock Valley Bible Church not to do that. Then I thought about, uh, as I remember we talked so many times, when we were studying in... uh, 1 Thessalonians, when we first met on Perryville Road. And the fifth chapter talked about leadership. It talked about be devoted to prayer. Don't cease praying. That's my challenge to you guys. Pray. Every day, all the time, continue to lay these things before the Lord. A couple of verses that I think would be appropriate for you guys. Joshua 1.8, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. For the body here today, I remember reading this verse and thinking about a lot as a leader. Hebrews 13:17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. You know, serving the Lord is a joy. Sometimes it is really hard waiting. I have been at times where you say, will it ever happen? As we pray for Rock Valley Bible Church, my prayer was, God, when are these leaders going to be raised up? So when I talked to Steve on the phone every once in a while, I'd say, how's it going? And he knew exactly what I meant. And he'd say, well, we're working through it. And you know what? I'm glad you did. Because it makes this day far more meaningful for all of us. So we thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank God for the work of the church. We thank God that Christ is the head of the church and he will provide. So my challenge is uh, when things are up in the air, Remember, God will provide. Here you guys are. God will provide. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate being able to talk a little bit about the history of leadership and the work of the Holy Spirit through leaders. Pray for your leaders. Don't do it just when the hard times come. Do it all the time. And also encourage them. They need to be encouraged because leadership is its not a hard work. It's a joy. Thank you for having me. I just told those guys I'd rather talk to them right there. But, you know, uh, in the first century church, there was an apostle who was talking to a, a young man that he was appointing to a position. Paul to Timothy. Paul said to Timothy, he said, join me, join me in suffering for the gospel. <laughs> There's a certain element in which that's what you're doing. You're being called to join Steve in suffering for the gospel. But at the end of that verse, Paul said, according to the power of God. Now, if you ever leave off the last three words, it'll just be, you'll burn out because you'll only be left with your own power. 
Join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. If you ever say, what should we pray for the elders? What should we pray for the elders' wives? What should we pray for the deacons? What should we pray for the deacons' wives? Pray that. That as they incur whatever suffering there may be for their focus on the gospel, that they would suffer whatever that is, whatever's laid upon them, according to the power of God. The one is a is a burden that weighs you down, the other is a is a power that carries you along. Your flesh inside says, You can do it. Don't listen to it. Paul said to Timothy a second thing, he said Retain the standard of sound words, of healthy words. He's talking about right doctrine. One of the things that leaders of churches have to do is process with the people about right thinking. What is right doctrine? What's wrong doctrine? Those are hard, hard discussions sometimes because they are right doctrine is bound up in people's lives. Wrong doctrine is bound up in people's lives. Retain the standard of sound words, now listen to this, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now if you leave off those last words, then you're only contending for right doctrine without the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So you might be very good at the truth of it all, but you won't have what you need. The faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You want to know how to pray for these guys? They're they're going to be constantly dealing with what's right thinking about this or about this. What does God teach about this? What does Jesus say about this? And as they process with that in their own hearts and as they talk to you about it, pray that that which will be the environment in which they do that will be the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Last thing he said to him was, guard the treasure. Guard the treasure through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what's the treasure? There's a lot of things. You know, guard the good deposit, one translation says. What's he talking about? You know, there's nothing more at the heart of the gospel than God's gift of mercy for those who don't deserve it in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit. Guard the treasure. Mercy for sinners who don't deserve it. Mercy for sinners that don't deserve it. If you pray for these guys, pray for these guys that they will be mercy guys to those who don't deserve it. Sometimes that will be you. That they will guard that treasure in Christ Jesus more than any other. Guard it according to the power of the Holy Spirit. If you guard it in your own strength, you'll burn out. You'll give up. You'll say, when is this term over? Is this a three-year term? (laughs) You know. Pray for their wives. Pray that in their own hearts, these three things will be that which carries them along every day. Pray that in their families, this is the environment 
that is built and rebuilt every single day. These men, by Steve and you, have been affirmed today. They are qualified. But the fact that they're qualified today doesn't mean they'll be qualified tomorrow or a year from now or three years from now. What will be the key factor? It will be the power of God in their suffering for the gospel. It will be the faith and love in Christ Jesus as they contend for the faith and right doctrine. It will be their guarding of the treasure of mercy for sinners who don't deserve it. That's what qualifies them now. That's what will continue to qualify them for the rest of their lives and service in this place. To that end, we will now probably join in prayer for you. Now, we need these people to join in prayer for you every day and for your wives and for your children.